nine o'clock. Hi, welcome to In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor, where we talk about millennials and this crazy world they're adulting into. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. In this episode, I have the opportunity to interview Amanda Thomas. She's a fantastic clinician and also a good friend. My wife and I spent a week up in Sandpoint, Idaho and Coeur d'Alene and had the chance to take a little extra time and get to know her, uh, her partner, Jason, and spend some time with them. And that's when I was able to do this interview. Amanda has a master's in physical education, which she got in New Zealand, where she was there researching uh, outcomes on outdoor interventions with adolescents. She then went on to get her license in marriage and family therapy and currently does private practice placement and interventions. In this interview, we talk about trauma and attachment, two things that have always confused me. I push her a lot on getting to the nitty-gritty of what that all means, and I got a lot of answers, and so there are a lot of good takeaways. I think that everyone will benefit from this interview. One of my biggest takeaways from my time with Amanda, though, was she taught me how to cook in a cast iron skillet. And I've been uh, a madman this week cooking uh, at home (laughs) on our cast iron skillet. And I actually made some peach cobbler the other night and I nailed it. So my wife, my neighbors, everybody, thanks you, Amanda, for that. Uh, I hope you enjoy the interview and thanks for joining Okay, hey guys, I'm here in Sandpoint, Idaho with Amanda Thomas, and first of all, Sandpoint's fantastic. This is one beautiful place, and we've got, you know, red and yellow leaves right outside the window to paint a picture, but more impressively, we've got Amanda Thomas here, and Amanda is a brilliant therapist, and Amanda, my first question is, and we've already talked about this, attachment. Mm-hmm. That's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in mm-hmm. the therapeutic setting. You know, it's attachment, it's attachment, it's attachment. I have a basic understanding of it. I can talk around about, not around it, but about <laughs> it. it. Mostly around. It. <laughs> That's how it really sounds. <laughs> but but f- for the millennial out there or their family that might be starting to hear there's attachment problems or mm-hmm. just people in general, what what is attachment and how can we understand it better? Yeah, well, you're not alone. Like, attachment gets thrown around everywhere these days. Well, I shouldn't say it does. I, I actually would say that it's out there, but it's not truly understood even by clinicians to the level that we truly understand it now. Um, but attachment is its a basic, primitive, primal drive that we are all born with to keep us safe, and we are social beings. We are innately social beings. So we are, we are primed to bond and create safe and secure attachments so that we can have more autonomy, so we can be more adventurous, so that we can be more successful in our lives. That's actually how we are successful is if we have a secure bond. Okay. And that starts when? I mean, from the womb, we're talking babies. Yeah. We're talking teenagers. It's still happening at 40 years old. What? You know, <laughs> yeah. walk me through yeah. 
the phases of that attachment and how people end up with an attachment disorder or where it mm -hmm. goes wrong? Well, I think that we're on a really, we're in a really cool frontier. Um, this frontier of understanding the neuro neuroscience of attachment is, it is like, I, I'm so excited that we're here because it's, I'm really passionate about it and I, I'm, I'm learning on so many levels and like sometimes I feel like my brain explodes with like reality checks on what it really means. But what we definitely know is from, it starts in utero. There is an attachment process that happens in utero. Um, babies can hear and experience the world in utero. And if there's a stress, if a mom gets in a car accident, falls from a ladder, um, domestic violence, any of those sort of things, like in the womb, the child picks up on that and that can start to influence attachment styles even that early on. If there's twins and there's a distressed twin in utero, there can be, we're starting to find that there's issue like family or the, the children um, can have stress in that. Really? Yeah. So it's kind of like, like, it's pretty profound when you really think about it, but it's development. It's our nervous system developing. Mm -hmm. And so um, attachment really is about our nervous system um, that keeps us alive in times of stress and, and moves into protection modes. So we have in utero, um, zero to three is typically what we talk about and what most people talk about and think about when we talk about attachment. And John Bowlby um, was kind of the primary founder in that. Um, and he, you know, he did some really cool studies. You can check them all out online. Um, but there's a ton of research around zero to three. But what we know now is that it really does, like there are these moments, these critical moments as we age and grow up from, from in utero the whole way until we die that mm -hmm. influence how how we attach and how we respond um and so you can have an attachment distress at 45. really yeah. does this kind of fit into the like maslow's hierarchy of need to belong is that kind of what we're talking about in terms of just an intense survival need it's really interesting. There's a whole there's a whole new triangle out there actually that's kind of um, you know because Maslow talks about self actualization. He talk like that's a really um, disconnected non social triangle or pyramid. Yeah, independent, um, very individualized. Very right? much an individual focus, and so we're actually starting to talk about and look at that from from a very different place that. Um, for us to have safety and security in our lives, we have to have a safe, secure base. And Maslow does talk about that. Like, that's definitely in there. Um, but what we know, and through a lot of trauma research, actually, we've come to this realization, is that if you have, um, if you have trauma in your life, you you're not going to be as, you're not going to be able to self-actualize as well. Um, that if you don't have a really good social bond and, and that a, a secure attachment base, it's just not going to happen. Okay. So, so, so your, your, your attachment, if you can have 
a, a more secure attachment and you experience a trauma, you can you have more resiliency. What is more secure attachment? Speak speak to I, me just Yeah. So we have you know, therapy yeah. for dummies. What therapy is, what's for a dummies. secure attachment? Yep. Okay, so we have my mom's cool, my parents were <laughs> stayed together or Right. You know, I never got yelled at in my life. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So some questions that we ask around that, um, which I think are really interesting um, research that, that we've done over um, when, like, we do a history on somebody, is we talk about, like, who did you go to for comfort when you were a kid? Are you asking yeah, me? Yeah, who did you go to? Who in your life would you go to? Like, if, if you fell and scratched your knee or your best friend was mean to you and you came home from school... Who would you turn to? Mom for first. Okay, mom first. Because she was there. Yep. Um, youngest of five, so br older brother or sister. Yeah. Dad, if he was around, you know, yeah. I had a very supportive environment. Yeah. So then, um, could you always could you always expect to be comforted by your family? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. In some way, right? You had multiple places. Like if your mom wasn't there, you could go to a sibling or if like maybe your dad was there, right? Yes. It was pretty consistent. Options. It was pretty consistent, yeah. right? It wasn't like there wasn't like a question of like, or, oh my gosh, I don't have anybody, mm -hmm. right? So, so that ability to um, have somebody in your life and sometimes it's not your family. Sometimes it's a teacher. Sometimes it's an aunt or an uncle. Um, or a friend of the family or neighbor who you could always turn to and you could trust that they would be there for you when you needed them most. Cool. And that really is like a down and dirty kind of how do we develop a secure, safe attachment? And that it really does start in that does start in the womb. And that is like that zero to three, which is, you know, eating, needing your diaper changed, all of those sort of things. Like are my are my parents safe and responsive when something's not going okay? They need us. Babies need adults to teach them how to regulate because they don't know how to regulate yet because their little nervous systems are just trying to like grow and become and and create these branches and you know throughout their bodies. So, and this is this is something that I have always had a hard time wrapping my head around, okay. and I think you're getting to it. It's hard for me, and I'm open-minded about it, by the way. I'm not being critical. <laughs> no, no. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the 35-year-old jerk mm. or mean person or yeah. dishonest, whatever it is, whatever behavior we're talking about, yeah. bad behavior, yeah. saying, well, it's because I wasn't taken care of when I was three or five or eight. And that's right. why I do these things. And everyone needs to just sort of be okay with that. I know that that's not okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, and I'm open-minded. So walk walk me okay. or anybody else out there who might be going like, yeah, Andrew's right. Like, I hate it when people say it's all about your childhood, which my mom would probably say. Totally. <laughs> She's old school, right? But, but help somebody like us wrap our heads around yeah. the whole always going back to the childhood attachment for everything that could possibly go wrong right. in your life. And where's that fine line? Because yeah, I think we absolutely. overdo it, but I do think there's wisdom in it. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of different ways to talk about, like, I don't even call attachment, like, attachment, an attachment disorder. 
Like sometimes it's a distressed attachment. Sometimes it's hindered. Sometimes it's compromised. It's like there's a large variety of what your attachment can look like. Okay. So um, you have really basic, you have insecure attachment and you have secure attachment. Okay. Secure attachment is what we're going for, right? That's, that's the ideal. What we just described. I got people yeah, to talk to. Exactly. That's rough secure. day. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to get enough love yeah. and compassion here. But we have these things. It's called life. People go to war. Families get disconnected. We have September 11th. We have depression. We have trauma that like family members have that they don't even know about. Like we have a lot of ways to survive and adapt that can sometimes create hindered attachments within a family. And and everybody has the best of intentions. Like that's the one thing that I, I, I hope everybody can walk away with is those behaviors that you see at 35, that's that's a guarding, that's a that's a protection, that's a basic primitive primal desire that somebody is experiencing in that moment that is like deeply wired into something that is really about self-preservation okay mm -hmm. and it's all they know it's the only toolbox they have now to to the old school thinking and even i mean i'm a therapist and i do this and sometimes i'm like oh my gosh why are you like this like why you're like 35 you're 45 and like this is still going on there's a lot of reasons that it's still going on right they might not have, you know, we have a lot of struggles to access quality mental health treatment. We have a lot of stigma to accessing mental health. We're in Sandpoint, Idaho. We have a, a limited access to resources for a lot of our population here. I think the statistic is like 62% of our population um, is under like the median salary wage earning. These are not people who can pay for treatment all the time. Um, and there's that. And then there's the stigma. There's like bootstrapping mentality that still exists as well. And, you know, so how do you, re how do you reduce the obstacles to getting treatment? How do you um, increase the cool factor that like, yeah, man, I go to my therapist every week <laughs> I know, right? you know yeah. you know because you know it's i really want to i want to work through it um yeah. and that's the thing like i think that people think that you need to go to therapy because you have anger management issues or you have a dui or you are getting hospitalized you know and that's a lot of clients are like I just need somebody to bounce this off of because it spins around in my head and I get anxious because yeah. it spins around and I don't I don't have a safe person in my life to, to bounce it off to or they have other needs and agendas and it doesn't feel really objective. So, um, so yeah, there are definitely, I mean, research now is really showing us cool results with doing attachment-focused treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, it's having great success in terms of like looking at, this is where I geek out, so you might have to stop me. 
But um, we can look at brains and see that if we do, if couples doing emotional focused uh, therapy, which is an attachment informed treatment, um, their cortisol levels aren't pumping as much when they experience stress and pain. That has a huge profound effect. The fact that we can see people's brains are not as activated when they're stressed, that means that all of a sudden we can fight disease. Like that is like the biggest disease prevention is to not be like pumping so hard in our, in our body. So, you know, having good, safe, secure attachments and you can, you can still work on that when you're 45. And even I have clients who are 70 who will come in to work on it with me. Um, and they're healing faster. They're preventing cancer. They're preventing diabetes by, by really working on this attachment that really prevents them from um, experiencing so much pain and stress. You talked about trauma. Okay, trauma. You said trauma. What, yeah. what, what would be an emotional trauma? And how does that play into, you know, someone, again, I, I'm think, I keep asking yeah. about the aftermath because yeah, I'm yeah. working with young adults right. and I see them all the time that come in yeah. with behaviors that everyone's going like, dude, don't you realize this isn't going well for you, whether it's yeah. you shut down or whether it's right. you're defiant or whether it's you lash out or you're whatever it may be. And you're right. You nailed it a few minutes ago and it is survival period exactly right at their core they're like i don't listen man i don't care what you tell me andrew <laughs> i i'm doing what i do to survive and that's what i need and yeah. and so you know the therapist will say we got trauma we've got attachment here yeah what are what's trauma how does that play into it and, and paint that picture for us oh yeah trauma is interesting um you know there's some pretty basic big big t trauma Right, big T trauma, car accidents, war, um, dislocation from family with going to war or floods or um, violence, physical violence, um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, medical trauma. Those are those are pretty big things that really happen really are out of our control getting struck by lightning mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah you know like that's big t trauma um there's a lot of those things that we can't can't control for um and then we have what we call like little t trauma and little t trauma is this thing little t trauma is this thing that's where it becomes kind of nebulous like it's like really confusing and that's where people can get wafy and be like Really, really, your mom wasn't at home whenever you got home from school, so that's a trauma. Gotcha. You know, that's where it's like, well, you don't really know. Like, you don't really know. People are fighting battles that you don't know. Right. All the time. It's easy to be judgmental, it right? Is. And that's And that's why I wanted to be honest. There's yeah. a part of me that's like, really? I you know. know. It's and, so hard. And it's the criticism of the millennial generation. Yeah. And where do we draw that line? I don't mean to cut you no, off because no, I know fine. you got a good no, thought no, going, good. but where it's do we good. draw that line between... You need to buck up a little. You need to be yeah. a little resilient. We have World War II veterans and and grandpa, you know, grandpas yeah. that are really resilient, strong people despite the trauma of war, right? And yeah. we don't wish that on any generation. No. Not saying that's a good thing, but mm -hmm. but now we've got 
like you just said, your mom wasn't home when you got home. Hey, like this is something we can work with, man. And yeah. it's not quote unquote trauma. But yeah. to your point, man, you haven't walked in their shoes. And how exactly. do you know? Well, and that's just it. So, so when we talk about like childhood emotional neglect, I mean, that's right. When we talk about attachment, when we talk about emotional neglect, it's so difficult. Like today's, and not even today, like today and the millennial generation, like this is like the first generation that has had two parents working. And I'm not saying that we need to go back and like get rid of feminism, but there is a, there is a consequence, there is a, there are negative consequences to the feminist movement and to industrialization and all of the social economic issues that we face where we have, we don't have, we, we have two parents out of the home who are working. We have a need to earn a certain amount of money just to, to have, like, not to be living paycheck to paycheck. Like, there's a lot of economic stressors that we're not even talking about that can create a parent just to be stressed and distracted when they're at home. And therefore? And therefore, they're not really present. They're not, they're not, they don't have the availability or the capacity all the time to be attending and to be nurturing and to be responsive. But we also have, like, we, we call this transgenerational trauma patterns, okay? So in some ways, we are still living with the trauma of World War II. With some, in some ways, we are still dealing with the trauma of Vietnam. In some ways, we are still dealing with the trauma of, you know, oppression. And... and we're just now, I think this is, again, this is one of those places where we're on this really cool edge of learning of what does that mean and what does that look like and, and all of that with um, the connection, and Gabor Mate talks a lot about this, which is this connection between um, generations of trauma and then the next generation experiencing autoimmune issues, cancer, diabetes, obesity, right? This is mm -hmm. the fattest generation we've ever had. And the most depressed and anxious And the most depressed and anxious. So is this really just three generations of trauma that we're just seeing and we're able to treat? Never thought of it that way. Well, wow. when we're just starting to explore that, so there's a lot of people who have never thought of it that way, but it's like, it's kind of like, oh, wow, what, what if, right? Mm-hmm. What if that is the case? But yeah, what do we do? What do we like toughen up, get out there? Listen, I am, I, how many times have I done that to myself? How many times have I done that to my husband? You know, like really toughen up, right? And I love this because I was just at this um, dinner with Gabor Mate and he says, um, he made this great statement. He's like, well, actually, Let's talk about this. Do you really need to toughen up? If you're the one saying like, Andrew, come on, dude. Yeah, it's 55 degrees outside. Just because you live in Costa Rica, <laughs> right? Toughen up, buddy, right? It's not cold out. It's what are you not cold out. About? Come on, dude. I live here all the time. I'm you're freezing. just you're freezing, <laughs> right? 
you're freezing, right? Is that really about you needing to toughen up? Or is that really about me? Am I really just sad, worried, and concerned for you? And I don't want to have to tolerate the fact that you might be uncomfortable in my town, in my home. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting approach. <clears throat> yeah, right? Again, it's just kind of like we're thinking differently, trying to like challenge ourselves a little bit to think differently about that. Yeah. And you know, when that phrase, toughen up, buck up, you know, that's one, I have a real personal bias because youngest mm -hmm. of five, silent generation parents. Yeah. Um, when I started whining, it was like six, <laughs> four siblings, <laughs> two parents like, hey, suck it up, buddy. Like, no. Totally. And I turned out, I'm happy with how I turned out. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I turned out to be a person in the world that doesn't whine much. Yeah. And Megan, my wife, might say otherwise, but, <laughs> but you know, and, and so... There's this old school part of me, you know, mm -hmm. and that's like, man, we need more of that just sort of buck up. And I, we, mm -hmm. you and I both, we see yeah. this in a lot of the families of yeah. the young adults that we're treating, right? Yeah. And, and I, I ask the question of part of that self-esteem movement with yeah. the millennials, which has been so destructive. Unintentionally, well-intentioned, totally. it yep. made sense. Let's let's give them all the love. Let's tell them they're great, and they will totally. be, right? Uh, but our unintended consequences is, yeah. is a generation coming into adulthood going like, wait a second, I'm not nearly as special as I was told I was. Right. And the real world's kind of going slap in the yeah. face, like Shut get with it, and, right? And that's what they're dealing with. And so... And how, even that's a trauma. That... Right, the, the getting into adulthood, getting that, into oh, adulthood, totally. right? It's like running into a brick wall. You're yeah. like, I'm not special. <laughs> yeah, <gasps> crisis. Right, exactly. Shut down. Yeah. What drugs? Parents' basement, video games, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, acting out, and and that's where you get the call, or yeah. we get the call, right? Yeah. Or in yeah. in whatever order that comes, right? Yeah. And how do we teach millennials? And their families a healthy buck up, you know, tough it up, suck it yeah. up mentality without, you know, creating trauma and creating, you know, where's that line and how do you teach it? Is there an answer? I don't know. I do. I guess, and, and I, I mean, I don't know if this is the right answer, but this is the way that I deal with it when those phone calls come in is, um, and it's usually the parents calling me first and saying, I'm really worried about my kid. I don't know what to do. And it comes back to that place of realizing that everybody's kind of in a survival mode. And there's people who withdraw and avoid and shut down in survival mode. And there's people who activate and fight and pursue. And we have to, we have to honor that from the very first phone call. We have to say, you're doing the best you can with the tools you've got. I totally understand that. And that makes sense to me why you wouldn't do that. Like, I get it. Like, I, I totally, like, you really got to put yourself in a parent's shoes and say, yeah, of course you don't want your kid to feel pain. Because as soon as they would start crying when they were a kid, when they were a baby, right, you'd be like, 
Are you, are you wrong? Oh no, that's just a, like, I just want attention cry. Okay. Or, oh, that's just a, I need my diaper changed cry. Or, oh, that's just a, right. Oh my God, you have a fever change. Oh, okay. That's a different one. We got to do something. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so you're wired to that as humans. That, that is a basic primitive drive. We are, we are wired to do that. Some of us withdraw, some of us pursue in that. And so really helping parents say like, yeah, you're doing the best you can. Being with a kid who's, you know, in the basement. Go to the basement. Figure out why, what is it? What is it about this video game that you're so obsessed with? Like, yeah, oh, it makes sense. This like, oh, okay, I can really understand that. So you got to kind of like get in it. You got to be in it with them and under, truly empathize and understand them and reflect back like this it makes sense to me why you why you've chosen to do it this way, withdraw or pursue, right? Yeah. And then from there, it becomes a, okay, well, what are the consequences of that? Like, oh, okay, so you don't actually feel connected. Oh, okay, your kid's actually using drugs. Oh, okay, your kid's actually like hasn't come out of the basement in like ten days. Whoa, okay, there's some consequences to that. Um, and, and every situation is so different, but you've got to really assess what's going on. I think you've got to be really um, rigorous around assessment and really take your time. I always tell my parents, slow down before you speed up. You've got to slow down before you speed up. Um, and then from there, it's, it's being able to say, this is going to be the hardest journey you walk, but you're not going to walk it alone. Mm-hmm. I've got a whole set of tools that you have no idea exist. And I've got other people that have tools that they know how to use that you don't even know exists. But I'm going to be here with you and we're going to get through this together. And it's going to hurt sometimes and other times you're going to have such a great sense of relief. And I know it's hard for you to imagine that that exists out there right now, but it's coming. Mm -hmm. And so helping them like predict the future a little bit of like what treatment's going to look like and feel like, um, whether it's a wilderness therapy program or a psych hospital or just an office, you know? Yeah. So it's just, yeah, you just kind of, you got to be in it with them, truly and authentically. Like you can't just, be up here in your head and be like, oh, yeah, no, you got to go do this and try this and do this. You got to like, they got to know, like, right? Because we're, we need a secure attachment. Mm -hmm. Treatment providers, in my model, treatment providers just become surrogate attachment figures. And then we just take that attach, that surrogate attachment and we help them transfer it over back to their family members more sustainable that's the point right that's, that's the, goal. the whole point yeah it just takes, takes time it takes time it it's takes not time. It you get this all the time right yeah. like you know we'll be done in a month we'll do we'll do I the work no it, especially never. with hardcore addiction it's yeah. it's years 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 and i think that's important for people to understand it is and that's and that's an interesting thing with attachment and that's one thing that you know i'm really um passionate about is really helping people understand that, that we have a lot, like, especially with the, um, with the opioid and alcohol, um, it, like the neurobiological impact 
of addiction. Like, I tell my clients who come in with that level of substance abuse, I'm like, it, you got you to gotta be prepared. This is going to be like two-year process. Two years. You know, and even then, you're, there's still going to be work to do three or four, right? But it's going to get better. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be in the wilderness for two years. It doesn't mean that you're going to be in a residential treatment center for two years. Yeah. You know, but then, you know, but I'm really pushing, um, and I'm pushing treatment programs, as you know, um, and the whole provider network of um, really challenging them on what is healthy attachment, right? And a lot of times, and this is my biggest pet peeve, is that parents get pathologized and demonized throughout the treatment process. It's their fault, right? It's, <laughs> it's you know, why yes. didn't you do this? Or how could you be thinking this? And I, like I said, I see my parents as such scared kids when they walk in. That's why when I started, I was like, you know, it's so easy to be like, my parents didn't do yeah. X when I was a kid, and yeah. therefore, here I am. Yeah. And that it seems to flush the accountability of me. Like, yeah. you know, hold on, man. You yeah. know, you, we all are accountable for our actions to an extent yeah. and finding that line. And I think I'm glad you said that because I think a good therapist mm -hmm. knows how to manage that conversation and not be like your parents, this, your parents, that, your parents, yeah. everything, yeah. which is a total cop out and can be used. Mm -hmm. And we've all met these people yeah. <laughs> and the, totally. my parents, this, my parents, that, and yeah. they're, they're failing to own up. Well, to, they just haven't really resolved. Yeah. And they haven't had good family therapy to seek resolution. Gotcha. Okay. That And that's kind of my big push. That's my big, like, you know, you can say that you do family therapy, but doing psychoeducational workshops, it's just not enough. Like, we know that it's this like we're sitting here together, right? Mm -hmm. We can pick up on each other's nonverbals, right? I was pretty anxious and nervous when we started, right? I was like totally sitting way back and I was like, <laughs> I don't know about this and I've got notes and everything, but like, right, as soon as we started relaxing into it, right? I'm sitting forward, I'm totally in it, right? The message that that sends to a kid or even a young adult or even an adult, like I still do like 60 year olds and 40 year old family therapy to seek this resolution. Wow, really? Yeah. Like, it's being able to see that my parent still, my parent gets me. And oh my God, mom, I had no idea you were dealing with that. No wonder you couldn't show up for me. Like, that's, like, that's the, that's the piece of, you know, doing being a skilled and trained family therapist, you know, I'm really fortunate. It doesn't scare me. Like, let's get in a room. Let's get in the woods. Like, let's get this family, let's get these family members together so that they can see it and experience it on a neurobiological level. Because your nervous system, right, as I started leaning forward, right, your nervous system went down, mm -hmm. down regulated and, and came to a calmer place. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's what I, I mean, that's I what I think. Yeah. Right? That's what it feels like, right? It feels like you can, it's, there's this, and we know that, we know this now, science shows us that, that we, 
We co-regulate each other. And that's not a bad word. Gotcha. We're, it's okay to co-regulate each other uh -huh. if it's healthy and it's effective, right? Mm -hmm. But so many parents get, you know, the helicopter parent. Like, okay, well, you know what? If you use the word helicopter parent, I'm going to ask you what's going on for you. As a consultant, I'm going to be like, why are you calling them a helicopter parent? Clearly, you don't understand what this parent's going through. Like, have you had a conversation with the parent to figure out why they're helicoptering? Have you dove down to understand them? And getting into that meat of that and then being help the parents reorganize their experience and make sense of why they're doing what they're doing and how it's affecting their kid and then bringing them together and having them be able to see each other, it's like this profound shift that happens that you can't even put words to. Parent visits are incredibly oh. uh, impactful and profound yeah. when we, we see that happen in the wilderness. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's fun to see. It's fun to be a ever, part of. Right? Yeah. Because you're reuniting the family, right? You're no longer the surrogate parent. Mm -hmm. You get to see them, you know, reattached to their parents in a totally different way. And you get to see the parents see their kids in this totally different light that they've never seen them before. Or they weren't capable of seeing because of their own fear. Yeah. Of losing their kid, the most precious thing in their lives. Do you have any closing advice for our millennials? Oh, our millennials. I love them. Me too. <laughs> As you know, I've yeah. been, you've met a couple yeah. of my millennials in my life. You got a that, chance to meet a few the, yeah, the past yeah. few days. They're I, great. I know. I love them. Um, I guess, gosh, I didn't think about that question coming down the line. Well, I think, I mean, I had a hard time in my 20s, a super hard time. And I look at um, where I am now. And I, my millennials that I, I surround myself with now and that I work with now, you know, the biggest thing is we love you. You're an amazing generation. The fact that you guys want to, like, have purposeful work and a meaning in life and, like, your access to science and technology and communication, like, you guys have things that we didn't have. And we're really open and excited. Like, we're, this time, like, I guess it's a cool time to be a millennial, really, because you have, like, I see it from this place of, like, you have resources that we never had. And that's pretty cool. And yet, whew, some of those resources, social media, education, all of those things, those things are like, how do you make the decision? What if I don't make the right decision? What if I make the wrong decision? What if it's a bad decision? And as you and I always say, you're always going to make a bad decision. <laughs> and that's okay. You're probably going to learn from it. Um, you know, make healthy bad decisions. You know, choose the, choose the healthy risk, you know, not choosing the drug, you know, if you can, 
choose not to go down that path, you know, because that, that is a dangerous risk, you know. Um, ask for support. And when you hear the answer that you don't like, sit with it for a second. Cool. And have faith. Good words to end on, Amanda. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much. That was go. great. Thanks for your time. Yeah. And um, we really appreciate it. It'll be Well, good. I appreciate it. It's fun. You got to give me an opportunity to just spout off my passions. So good. Hopefully, hopefully it reaches people. Hopefully there's some people out there that will, uh, will benefit. So yeah. thanks for joining.